Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek, and I'm here with Mark Victor Hansen. Mark, how are you doing? I am more than wonderful. And, and by the way, just because no one will know this, we've just gone through a bunch of technical difficulties. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh is a master maestro at just being patient, making this happen. I'm very thankful. Well, you give me the intro. So I'm going to tell the joke that to you, to everyone that I just told you, which is that uh, living in the 21st century means that there's a million ways to connect. They all break. <laughs> I just think and it's I'll, great. I'll also add for those who are watching the video that I'm in the middle of an experiment using only solar. I'm disconnected from the grid. So I'm a little darker and backlit and normally there'd be a light, but polluting less. Now I'm going to give a little bit of background for people who don't immediately know Mark Victor Hansen. And so your bio begins along with business partner, uh, Jack Canfield. Hansen is best known for creating the, what Time Magazine called the publishing phenomenon of the decade. Chicken Soup for the Soul books are one of the most successful publishing franchises in the world today. Now, here's why I wanted to read it, even though everyone knows who you are. More than 500 million books sold internationally and more than 100 licensed product. The name Chicken Soup was chosen because Chicken Soup is a home remedy for the sick. You're, and then there's all sorts of awards. I, inducted into Sales and Marketing Executive International Hall of Fame, Honorary PhD in Business Administration, Horatio Alger Association, Distinguished American. If I just talk about the stuff that the honors that you have, we won't have time for anything else. They can go back and look up how purportedly, and I've got a new biography coming out called Relentless because I like to work too much. I just enjoy it. So they can read my biography if they want. That's fine. Well, I'll also say that we were introduced by Mitzi Perdue, and she wrote a book about you. I love Mitzi. She's the best. Yeah, and her book about you is the best too. And if people are... now. We've just met, and I have to begin with an apology, because I did not follow the instruction. Everyone knows this instruction. Don't judge a book by its cover. And when I saw Chicken Soup for the Soul, I always thought it seemed like, it felt to me like palliative. And I made the mistake that I believe 144 publishers made, which was to say, oh, not, not quite right. I read it for the first time after she introduced us by email. And this book is transformative. I cannot believe how much it's changed me. And I've only, I mean, I, it says in the beginning, read it slowly. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go fast because I got to read it. And I'm like, no, this is to be read slowly. And Mitzi's book about you quotes how you've got all these fans. And I kind of want to say how it's changed me in such a short period of time. Tell me, tell me. The, if you don't mind. No, no, I'm, I'm all ears. You know, I'm patient and your audience knows you. So they're patient. So the biggest thing that hit me was how, I'm just, this is off the cuff, is how positive it is and how much I'm surrounded by people who keep saying, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I've started to believe them. I've started to so much trying to work with them to try to get them to go through some of the changes that I've gone through, but they don't want to. And I don't like to see, I, I'm seeing them as, negative, but I don't mean negative that I'm judging them. I mean, their outlook is can't, 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 won't, I don't want to. And reading the book, I'm like, I don't need to be like that. And all of what I've been saying is this is really enjoyable. To live more sustainably is joyful. It's fun. It's, it connects with people, with family. It's, it connects with nature. It's joy. And as much as people think it's not, because I think we live in a world in which we think that if we don't keep going, we're going to revert back to the stone age. And that hasn't been the case. 
with in my case. And it just resonated with me in a way of like, this is a different way of approaching. Like I should just be, instead of trying to be in their world, would just make me more negative is just really just be more enjoyable, like enjoy it more fully and share that joy more. This is just the start. And it's given me a different approach of how to share what I believe people really want to hear. And it's not available to them because our culture hasn't quite gotten it yet. And the way to share it is much more positive, more less. I, this part, I'm, this is where I am right now. Cause I'm, I'm partway through the book. Uh, I'm partway through multiple books of yours. Now it's uh, usually I like to finish one all the way, but I did want to like. Thank God my kids will have shoes. Anyhow. So in this, I'm doing a giant seminar here on uh, June 9th and 10th with the uh, 1500 sold out people. And I'll start with the, I'll have everyone write, I can't, and then hold up the paper, show everybody. And then what we do is we have them all rip off the T and it's, I can, because everybody's got to get back to an, I can. And what, the stories we did in Chicken Soup, which is now there's 254 books in that series, and we got a number one movie out with Michael King called Bestseller, you know, but it's all exactly what I live and believe, and, and I believe the news media puts so much negative into us, and the school system nowadays puts so much negative into us, you know, people think nine out of ten thoughts are negative and that the world's going to hell. And the fact of the world is the world's never been better. I mean, because I'm living in uh, levels of innovation. I own companies that do innovative stuff. And we can take trash and turn it back into cash, which used to be a liability. And nobody's ever done that before. And before QCI, and I own a company called Natural Power Concepts. And we're doing pop-up windmills. And if you add solar and put pop-up windmills in between the solar, you know, solar is good 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And our windmills start at 6 p.m. All wind in the world, for whatever reason, God set it up that way. 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So it's like a perfect match. And then back to what you and I talked about before we began, you can plug that into the new battery. And, and my hero is Elon Musk at a lot of levels, but he has created a new battery that you may or may not know of that is flat. It's no longer all the batteries you and I grew up with that you put in a flashlight, but it's a flat battery and it's going to be easy and it's going to be cheap and it's going to be light. and It's going to run trucks. It's going to run airplanes. It's going to run your home. And, and instead of having a big wall mount, or a Tesla or whatever car you own, you're going to have a little sheet that goes on top of the wall uh, outside your garage. And, and, you know, I know that you live in a city and the mega cities are going to have to put it on all the rooftops and then feed the energy down. But we're going into some exciting times if you're awake. Now, if you're asleep, you go, oh, my God, politics are screwed up, which they are. And people are making terrible decisions. But the danger is, is if you have a negative attitude, right? Uh, seek and you'll find it. If you seek what's going wrong, you'll find it. I mean, the best hotel, let's call it the Ritz-Carlton, owned by the Marriott Corporation. If Bill Marriott, who's a quasi-friend of mine, walks into his hotel, he can find dirt in any hotel. I mean, I'm sure he could lift up a cart and put and say, hey, the cleaning lady didn't do a perfect job, yet they are the best hotel because there's something wrong everywhere. And what an entrepreneur, which I teach entrepreneur, takes a problem, fixes it, scales it, makes a vast profit, but entrepreneurial medium equals time freedom, money freedom, relationship freedom. So you can be who you want to be, do what you want to do, have what you want to have. And now I've written 318 books and I've got another, I'll break 500 before I die at 127. I really want to transform the world by thinking right, asking right, talking right, living right, and going out and get phenomenally right results. Because every one of us, what we taught in our little book, 
ask is that you're coded at DNA and RNA at birth to go do great stuff. Not you're a professor, you're at NYU, you're adjunct, so this is all that you can do. No, that's a job. That's not who you can become. Who you can become is this enormous person. I mean, when you say good read my credentials, well, everybody ought to have credentials like that. But they are said, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're blah, blah, blah. You're limited, you're too short, you're too tall, you're too fat, you're too ugly, you're too blah, blah. All of which is junk. All of which has nothing to do with any reality because everyone's got enormity of potential. Did I over answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> On the contrary, it tells me, it gives me with more and more practice. I mean, you've practiced a lot. This is not a message that you've just popped up into. And, and I was reading about how at the beginning, like you gave in their first year of giving talks, I think you gave a thousand, something like that. I give a thousand first, a thousand a year. Yeah, we did four a day in New York City. So, you know, I started out on Hicksville, Long Island, New York, and then did all of Long Island and then Suffolk and then all the five boroughs, which you know the names of, and most people listening probably do or don't, and it doesn't matter. But if you know the line that Frank Sinatra said, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. And New York is a city that uh, eats its young, which is a terrible line, but the fact is it's tough and there's a lot of competition because there's 18 million people pouring in and out of the city on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. There's a quote that I came across. I think it was that you were down in the dirt and a voice came to you and you answered back. I caught this quote. I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life transformative difference for them. Right. And I mean, Mitzi, her book... After I read, okay, so I started reading Chicken Soup for the Soul, the 20th anniversary. Good. Oh, I love that. Read all my goals of having an ideal wife. Yes. And I've started that file on my computer. So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm 50, I'll turn 51 in a month and a half. Yep. And I started to make that file for myself. You were single, I take it? Yeah, I just, uh, just exited a five-year relationship that was really good, but not perfect. So amicable. Well, see, by the way, let's talk to just that. I believe we're in the first time when you can have perfect. And I want to just a, a soulmate. So I wrote down the qualities, values, virtues, 267 of them. Now, because of publishing limitations, we could only put 112 in that book, the 20th anniversary issue of Chicken Soup. And my wife to be, because I'd gone through a painful, very extraordinary, expensive divorce. And I'll take all the credit for doing that. But we had to have the same value. She had to want to travel. She had to love me for being me because. You know, you can't love me because I'm a famous person. That's like a dumbass squared, right? And by the way, there are a lot of people that, you know, humma humma and you're rich, so I'll marry you because you're rich. Well, you ain't going to do that because I, I did that game. I ain't doing that twice. That was a terrible mistake. And the trouble is when you're 16, you know, the girl says, I want him tall, dark, and handsome like Josh. Or, you know, the guy says, I want eye candy on my arm. Well, I got a wife that's spectacularly beautiful, but more importantly, she's the goddess of um, extraordinariness. She just is, is the most wise woman I've ever met, but that's what I wrote. I wrote down, I want somebody wiser than I am, more wonderful, and, and if we had kids, the kids had to get along. And what happens is, that here's the way I teach it. You know, you gotta know what you want, and most people don't know what they want. Number two law of the universe is to have the law of attraction work, is it's gotta be in writing. God said it. You write a thing, make it clear, it'll be established on you. So it's not a mark law, it's just, but, and, and I've got over 7,000 written goals and most people don't have any, right? And if you don't have goals, then you get nothing or you get to do somebody else's goals, meaning you're working and you or you have a job, which means you're going to be just over broke 
which isn't a good time in history to be broke. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that as soon as I thought of writing it, I knew a few things that I would write down right away, but then I also knew that more would help and it would clarify and it would direct me and it would give, I know that it's going to pull something toward me, someone toward me. By the way, and what you want to do is you want to have a soul mate. I mean, what is in your soul and what, because whatever you want in her, you've got to have in you. That's the amazing thing. So you resonate and you have what's called soul coherence or coherent math of, of your humanity. It, it is a whole different level. And what I got was I teach masterminding is one and one equals power of 11. As you look at that, but when you put two fingers together, it looks like 11. But the point is you want to go to a higher level where you resonate so much. You get to, we are twin flames of each other you know, match each other, mimic each other, can finish each other's sentences. And so what Mitzi taught us is the word, and she's our dear friend, as you've heard, is that we're force multipliers for each other. And that's what she was with her husband, Frank. And that's what her dad was with her, who, as you know, she started the Sheridan Hotel. He started the Sheridan Hotel chain during the Depression and built 400 booming hotels during the Depression because he saw more in the people than they saw in themselves because he was positive. It said, no, no, we're not going to study the depression. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to entertain and deal in excellence and extraordinariness. You will all have work no matter what. And you'll all be well fed here. If you haven't got food at home, I'll feed you and your family. Just Ernest, I never got to meet him, but I read the book she wrote on him. It just, he was, that's what we need now because we're going into a recession, if not a depression. Yeah, it's really changed how I'm. I mean, I'm just starting the process of changing how I'm approaching this. And I haven't yet figured out how far it will go, this change. But it's really like I have to start sharing how much fun and awesome and it is. Not how, I don't know. It's hard to even think the old way. Not that I've made that much of a change yet. I also have to comment. When um, in college, I had a professor in literature class. And she said, whenever you finish a book, always go back to the beginning and read the first sentence. because Authors can't help making the first sentence what the book is really about. And so whenever I finish a book, I go back and reread the first sentence. Now, I believe that the first story in Chicken Soup for the Soul, the 20th anniversary, is different than the, I think you put the new ones in the front. But do you know what the opening lines are? I, I didn't, I got, have to, here, I've got one right here so I could look at it and see. You're talking about the story that I wrote, the love story. Yeah, because here's the first one. I am more than a happily married man. I'm a joyfully married man. Not everyone can say that. My wife and Crystal and I uh, have what's called a twin flame uh, relationship. We seldom hear that relationships because they're rare, ideal, and private. Because most people are having it going. And, and by the way, we just, I expect what I'm going to say next, I shouldn't. But the guy with the biggest reach in radio, 150,000 hours a year, has just come to us and said, look, and, and he's way older than you by a decade or two decades. He's 70. And he said, look, you guys got to do how to attract your ideal mate because he has gone through a couple marriages and never made it because he never wrote down what the hell he wanted. How do you get to, I'm telling you, I want to go to New York and you don't tell me a map or tell me to get on a plane or get on a train or get in a car and use a, Google, a, a GPS, a global positioning satellite for in case somebody doesn't know what that means is it, how the hell do I get there? You can't get there if you don't know where it is that you want to go. And yet everybody gets married and then they have kids because, well, my mother said I should have four kids, which I, I want big families for smart people, but I want them with rationale. And then we got Chris and I have five kids and six grandkids and we know, and we'll probably have 12 grandkids before the game's over because the kids are still young. But our, our deal is 
we've got our kids, some of one, I'll just do one as a prodigy. I mean, not even a question. This guy takes it, little Everett is nine years old, takes a Rubik cube and in one minute does it. He learned Spanish and English and Chinese because Grampy, me, said, you know, I was I worked in China 80 times when it was capitalistically communistic. Now it's Maoistic communistic. And I don't, I love the Chinese people. I just don't have to like the current CCP. And I know that's probably too much to talk about here. But the point of the matter is, the kid has already been he's nine years old. He's been to China. He's been around the world with us. And he's going to be a world man and a world leader. And he understands. And if you were talking to a nine-year-old now, you go, this isn't a nine-year-old. And can I go one step further? Uh-huh. I own this publishing company called Mark Victor Hansen Library. Crystal and I are down talking and to 700 people in a sold-out thing down there. And a 14-year-old comes up to me and he's shaking. And I go, What's happening? He said, you intimidate me as the world's best-selling author. I said, I, I'm just a regular guy who just works hard. Don't Just breathe deep. We're going to be friends. He said, well, I'm worth $843,000. I went, what? <laughs> and, and so I said, we got to do a book on you because no one can be worth that. He said, well, at eight years old, I passed the youngest person ever in history to pass the real estate bar. And he said, I bought my first house for like $10,000 with $1,000 down. Now I own 60 properties. I'm worth $843,000. We came out with this book on Sunday night and it went to number one Amazon because everybody should hear a kid's story. I wish when I was a kid, my parents were illiterate immigrants from Denmark. Lovely, wonderful, bright people, but they didn't. Back in the 30s, you didn't have a shot at, at getting a great education. You know, you're done at fourth grade. That's it. You're out of here. Anyhow, and so what's exciting is that this kid... If I'd known that, I would have started buying real estate. I own a lot of real estate, but I would have bought a lot more a lot earlier because I didn't know a kid could buy it, mm -hmm. right? And this kid's book's telling every kid, look, go out and make money shoveling snow, washing windows, whatever you do, and start getting in investing. And, and he, had, I've got him talking to these 1,500 people here in a couple of days at uh, the Westin and Scottsdale. And they're just, we are in a breakthrough time while the media just tells you about breakdown, shootings and deaths and war and garbage and recessions and yet we're going to have the greatest times ever for those of us that are awake alive enthusiastic yeah it's not to say those things aren't there but it's what you choose to what world you choose to i don't know i guess the catchphrase would be what wolf you feed yeah yeah that's a choice and heisenberg's principle of indeterminacy what you look for you're going to see it in quantum physics it's you know the particle guy or lady sees particle the wave person sees what it's the same it's two parts, a duality of a oneness. And, you know, God is oneness and whatever name God goes by for you, infinite intelligence, I don't care of that. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, our intelligence are, are to be in line with the infinite. So we are maximally productive because when the game's over, you want to say, did I fulfill whatever my destiny code was for me? Not for you, but me for me. Does that make sense? Well, um, well, yes, and I'll listen to it again, and it'll make more sense the next time as well. And by the way, back to finding the ideal mate, where your first question was, you want somebody that reflects and can see more in you than you see in yourself, because no one can see our own talents, our own aptitude, our own capability, our own expansion of courage, which is what I'm teaching now, is that the only thing that will let you tenfold, whether it's Google wants to tenfold you or uh, Grant Cardone, who's a friend, wants to tenfold you. Tenfold comes out of one thing only, self-confidence. It's self and confidence. 
And what I'm teaching is, is if you don't have confidence in you, all you got to believe, Josh, is that I, Mark Victor Hansen, have confidence in you. Now you're a valid person. Now that includes everybody that's listening or watching this video. And if they don't believe it, all they got to do is say, look, Mark Victor Hansen, I have confidence to go out and do great, wonderful, bigger, better things than I've ever even thought of doing. And I make the world better off. I make my life better off. I make my family better off, city, country, state, uh, world better off. And I really, I, in my soul, I believe that's the way it works. I'm listening to what you're saying. And I'm also watching how you're saying it. And I'm, I bet you get more energy every time you say it. You know, once I saw a great actor, what was his name? Um, it'll come to me. He played Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman on Broadway more times than anyone else's. Yeah. Brian Dennehy. Yeah. And I got to see him speak and someone asked him, well, did you ever get bored of it doing it so many times? And he, his answer changed acting for me completely. He said, actually, I felt like I was just getting to understand the character. There was more every time he did it. There was such a rich character and he could find more and more in it. And I'm hitchhiking that because every one of us doesn't understand our own capability, right? When you're a little kid, you're learning to walk. You keep falling and falling and falling. Like we got a little grandkid right now that's, you know, a baby. Uh -huh. And the baby never cries and goes, oh, isn't that terrible, mommy and daddy? I fell. No, no, they laugh. They think it's funnier than hell to fall on their bum or fall on their face. And then they get up and they, you know, let you hold their fingers until they get it. They're unconsciously confident. And what he's saying is to really reveal who you are to you, right? I'm a scholar in a lot of things, but Socrates would say, um, I'm putting our friend Shakespeare in also, but Socrates said, know thyself is the most critical thing you can do. And then Shakespeare said, to thy self be true and you can't be false to any other. And only by like that actor discovering who Willie Loman was, did he find out who he was, right? Because we all need to reflect off of each other. That something else hit me when I was reading Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, and I'm only partway through it was that there's a lot of things about me that people don't know and I resent that they don't know and ask. And reading that, I felt a feeling for the first time of wanting to share my, what I'll say, my flaws, my vulnerabilities, my failures, because I know that they're inside. I know that they're not, but I'm still, I still feel ashamed to share them. But reading those stories made me feel like, why would I expect someone to know something about me that I haven't shared with them? And why would I not want to share this? Those are abstract. I wasn't really asking those questions. I'm saying those now, but I just, I know that I want to share these things that I've not shared before. Two perspectives on that, Josh. First perspective is that when you see somebody else's story and they, have, they talk about their vulnerabilities, it makes you okay to be vulnerable. Second of all, once you're willing to look at your own vulnerabilities and think about them and even talk about them, People will see you and say, hey, can we talk about the fact that blah, blah, whatever blah, blah is, right? Mm -hmm. And let me just give the, uh, I'll give one of the examples that you probably haven't read yet. We had a, a woman uh, named Lily who, um, her dad was driving a tractor. She fell off the tractor. It got uh, mangled her right hand. She has no right hand. And so I said, Lily, Lily Walters, you're going to write that story for me. And because you're oh, a left-handed typist, you're a one-handed typist. Now, Never did I think that somebody telling me that they didn't have a right hand would be helpful, except the story just was compelling. She's a friend of mine. Anyhow, she got two million letters because we used to put everybody's name, phone number, and address in the back of the book. 
And she had a, she did a book that she made million dollars with called the left-handed typist or the single-handed typist. She had to do a second book, mm-hmm. right? Some people thought, well, I can't buy because I've got my no left hand, but I got a right hand. <laughs> Just thumb or nail because <laughs> you're one. But the point is, she made a fortune because of a single. Now, if you told me that that vulnerability would help somebody else, I'd, I'd say no. And forgive me for going one step further. I'm down talking to the biggest uh, mobile phone company, 8,000 people down in, in Texas. And we just finished chicken soup for the surviving soul, how to be 101 ways to be cancer. And it was, oh man, it just rips your heart out because I, you want to not die. And these are all the ways to do it, not medical. And the guys, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I watch these people blowing and going and they're blowing out of their Kundalini. They're out of their cron chakra. And I thought, man, how am I supposed to, I'm supposed to take these people to a higher number level. And now this guy's got a woman over there that's got no hair and um i go oh man he wants me to go talk to her before this story that'll screw up my energy right i, I don't want to talk to somebody with cancer that they're dying tomorrow and this is the last talk and they want to come and hear me and so he said but you got to talk to her turns out she became the first 15 minutes of my talk she wrote the story on alopecia which is abnormal hair loss mm-hmm. and uh the first 15 minutes and she was our top salesman and she did that story. And then she started the Alopecia Society. And, and I said, look, everybody, she's got it. She's willing to admit it. She's got about 2 million emails. She's built this big, great database. And she's somebody's going to solve it. Because I believe, back to what I said, an entrepreneur's here to solve a problem and then fix it, scale it, and make a vast profit. And entrepreneurship is, gives you freedom, fun, money, time, and relationship freedom. Is it, She is going to figure it out for herself by talking to 2 million people, somebody somewhere is going to have the breakthrough because I believe alopecia is a solvable problem. I don't know what it is. And I never thought I could participate in, in something like alopecia, which is a real vulnerability because anybody who's got it wears a wig full time. Whether it was George Burns who had it or anybody, you know, you didn't like his wig because back then wigs looked terrible. I'm sorry to say, I don't want to beat up on George Burns, who's a great comedian. But are you tracking with me that Everyone doing their vulnerability makes everybody better off because everybody is vulnerable only of different things. I've never said that before, but I think it's accurate. Say it again. Everybody is vulnerable, but of different things. Like I feel vulnerable because I'm too fat or too tall or too short or too pimply face or too ugly or too not smart enough or I, I can't learn vocabulary or I'm dyslexic. So I read back like Richard Branson, my friend is reads backwards and upside down. So he has people read to him and yet he writes a book a year. I just, and I love Richard, but you know, he openly says, and he won't talk. Like he says, Mark, you love talking to my groups. And when you come to Necker Island, I will never stand up and talk because I'd wet myself. So I just sit here and answer questions and you got, the guy's worth $21 billion, but he's so vulnerable and so honest that you go, I'll go one step further. We're sitting at the beach and Richard Branson, one of the greatest minds of our time is an entrepreneur and, and trying to do the right thing for humanity. Sitting at the head of the table, my wife's next to him. I'm here. Guy across the island's head of, of Oxford University. And he says, it's those Christians that screwed this up six years ago by stopping all the planting in, in uh, Sahara. And that's what caused the Sahara Desert, which is true. So we should replant it. And we're working on that. And that'll stop the hurricanes, which is very interesting, very high uh, climatology stuff that nobody ever talks about what the truth and reality is. So Richard says, Crystal, tell him when, when uh, Christianity came. He says, sir, that was only 2,000 years ago. Now, you know, he's a hard scientist from Oxford, the president, and he's screwing up. And he says, and beyond that, it's those damn 
Brazilians that are cutting up the lungs of the earth so the lungs won't breathe. Richard said, did you ever ask who's sitting at this dinner table with us? There are like 12 people at the table. The guy to your right is the president of Brazil. Sure, yeah. He thinks cutting down the lungs of the earth. The guy said, look, buddy, uh, Dr. Hanson, Mark Victor Hanson, my friend here, has told me we got to plant a trillion trees to end global warming, and, and that he planted 250,000 trees. And the last week, I planted 2 million trees in Brazil. There's no problem. And I don't know where you guys get your statistics, but they're not accurate. And the guy's just starting to sink under his sink because Richard listens to all of us and then says, here's a mirror. Let's look at it and see what's reality here. And there's vulnerabilities. And, you know, if you get back to what you said, the first thing, whatever you see, you look to see, you'll see. And this guy saw we had climate problems. It's never been better. We're looking at it for the first time. We're going to fix it. I'll just go one step further. I know I'm talking too much here and not letting you ask questions, but I just got hired to do a giant important talk in, in Singapore. And I've been there a lot of times. And it's a genius country run by senior Mr. Lee, junior Mr. Lee. But they said, look, we got to plant more trees. And they said, you're the guy who says we've got to plant a trillion trees. Everyone's got to plant three trees. One if you were born, one if you fall in love, and one if you ever die. And I said, yeah. And then if you fall in love with a lot of women and you're a serial lover, you got to do the forest. <laughs> he said, would you say that to my whole country? I said, yes, and Malaysia and the rest of the world too. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, so it's quite a jump from vulnerability to Richard Branson to being open about. But I mean, I think it was fundamentally about sharing when we share what we, I mean, our vulnerabilities are also our passions. Our passions are our vulnerabilities. And if we don't share them, we live a life of mediocrity, of, of you know, rainy days. And I'm not sharing these things. Those stories really, you picked them very well. I, I, I feel funny telling you things that half a billion people have told you already in some way or other. And yet I feel compelled to. And I imagine that's why I have all these fans is I bet people really like sharing how it affected them. By the way, we want everyone to tell their story. That's the problem in the world is we've stopped telling the story. The, the, my opinion, and by the way, I'd love you to wax on if I'm, I'm wrong or, and, and you're allowed to attack my do Right now, you see all, we got some teenagers in our extended family and they're using the cell phone, and they think writing a sentence is writing. No, it's not writing a sentence. No, a story has got to have a beginning, a middle, an end. It's got to have something dramatic. It's got to go somewhere, right? It's got to do something for someone. And will you meet me for dinner is not writing. It, it isn't not writing, but it's not real writing. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, when I read Jack talking about the beginning of Chicken Soup for the Soul, yeah. pre, you know, when it didn't have a name yet, and I was thinking of my stories that I share when I give my talks. And I thought, is there a chicken? I, I looked up, I don't see a chicken soup for the sustainable soul. And I think that there's uh, something to be had there. Yeah, yeah. by the way, there is. But here's the problem that we, remember, I'm the marketing one of the Jack and Mark team. Jack's the Harvard third in his class genius. I'm not, I never take anything away from Dr. Campbell. The point is, show me how to get to sustainability. Remember, I got my doctor with Bucky Fuller who said, look, we've got to make the world work for 100% of humanity, and we're going to change weaponry into livingry, and here's world game and how to make it work for everybody physically and economically successful. So I'm, I'm sold. Just tell me how to get to the market. It's like my parents are immigrants, and I can't do chicken soup with the immigrants, so because there's not an immigrant population that you can get to. There's a, a Danish population, Italian population, pot, Hispanic population, whatever, but there's no way to get to them. And if you did, how would you sell, how would you get to them? And maybe with AI, we can do that. But 
the head of sustainability in Israel, who was in grad school with me, Dr. Michael Benelli, who created the whole desalinization water. And I love Michael. And he said the same thing you've said to me. And I said, you show me how to market it and, and we'll do the book. Cause we start with the market. We don't, you got to have a way to get to the market. And sustainability, by the way, is a fairly abstract and esoteric concept. I love it personally. <laughs> it's pretty far out there. So I'm going to try, I'm going to test with you the, the process I was talking about before we hit record. And it might create a story right here, right now. Fine. When you, is the environment something that you care about, something that you work on, that you've changed your life in some way to act on? Totally. Environment is everything, not me. And you can't live unless the environment. I'm on the board of Back to Space. And we live in this little fragile, fragile environment that only goes five miles up, five miles down in the bottom of the ocean. So we're living in the whole ocean. When you really look at the, the diameter of the earth, which is 8,000 miles and 25,000 miles circumference, the whole ocean is little as your thumbnail compared to that. So we're dealing in a very finite environment that we're screwing with. Human beings, too much plastic in the ocean, all that, all of which we can cure if somebody will make fundamentally comprehensive decisions and they're not politically based, they're not economically based, well, we can't afford to pull out the bottles. Yeah, well, you take a bottle. I know how to do it, and most of the stuff we could solve. And by the way, I, I believe every problem is solvable, like I did with alopecia, but I'm convinced we can get, and we got to get all those plastic bottles out of the ocean. I'm working with the world's greatest artist, profitable artist, Wyland. We did Chicken Soup of the Ocean Lover, sold just to that. Oh, okay. Right? Got to get ourselves, our butt out of the, wrecking the ocean. Well, we can toss it here in Singapore, or better yet, Bangladesh because we don't have the economics to do a garbage dump. You can't afford not to have garbage taken care of. I'm hearing a lot of passion. I'm hearing a lot of experience and knowledge. Yeah. And now when you think about the environment, what do you think about not looking forward into what we can do and what solutions, but when you think like people who grow up near the ocean, it tends to be like an ocean. People who grow up in the mountains it tends to be a mountain. Like what's worth protecting? Like I'm trying to ask for like the visual imagery or the personal experience of, or a sensory experience of what you think of when you think of the environment. Well, by the way, I did live on top of the ocean in the Pacific in Corona del Mar, the best part of Newport Beach. So, and walk with Crystal and walk the ocean every day. The point is we got one little spaceship. We're all little astronauts and, and God bless Elon Musk wanting to take a million people to Mars. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So we either take care of our home now Right. Or we don't. And if you keep putting garbage in the home and, and don't clean it up, and I'm part of QCI LLC in, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's a six billion dollar company. So it's not a little company. We can take all garbage, turn it back into its native stuff. We can take all metal, put it back to metal, glass to glass, plastic, to plastic, water to water. And 60 percent of all garbage is water. So we got plenty of water. This lack of leadership and just I'll just pick on California because I lived there for 40 years. We got a leader there that's an idiot. And as a result, if we just took the garbage in California, we could have all the food grown again in California that they need to be growing. There's more than enough water in the garbage dumps, but we've closed all the garbage dumps and we were selling our garbage to China, which is dumbass square. We get to do stuff smart, not dumb. We're Americans. We are the innovators. We are the creators. And this guy, Dean Rose at QCI, who's a very close friend of mine, you know, is he, like Elon Musk, is, is he has the biggest Tesla museum in the movies in the world. So it's not a question of, is this guy the leading edge of all leading edges? Yeah. And can we do it? Yeah, we can do it. Is there resistance that is always, in my mind, I'm a judgment now. Judge and be not judged. I know the line. But 
I'm a judgment. We got stupid ass politicians and say, we can't afford to do that. No, you can afford to go to war. You can afford to kill everybody. And there's a war going on right now. You probably know over there. So I'm not supposed to talk about those kind of things. But the fact is, we don't have time for war. We've got to make it. Let's take care of the 8 billion people, raise the standard of living, stabilize population for hits 12 billion. It's at 8 billion right now. And really take care of people at a higher, better, more excited level than ever before. And we got all the tools, technology and insight and smart guys like you that can teach how to do it. But instead, we're saying, we ought to resist something or remonstrate or protest. And you go, no, no, that is what we need. We just have to roll up their sleeves and go to work and get the job done. Well, this, this is very interesting. And there's a lot in me that's like, keep pursuing this line with him. Although I'm asking a slightly different question. I'm asking a very different question. In that inside you, this, it's a very personal question. It's not about solutions. It's not about what to do. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about what to do with the bottles and so forth. It's about what's in your heart when you think of the environment that I think a lot of people think it's so, it's so clear to them that they think what they feel must be the same for everyone. But when you grew up, was there something that was nature for you? Was there something that for you is what's worth protecting? I'm not talking about solutions. That's very, very interesting. But this is about what, what's intrinsic to you. Yeah, I want an environment that's pristine, clean, fresh air, perfectly drinkable water, and uh, is a delight to be in. And I live in one of those perfect places in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I've owned homes in Kona, Hawaii, and around the world. So it's not a question of, have I test tasted the world? I have, and the whole world deserves that, not just because I'm well off, but, but let's get the whole damn thing clean. That's what I'm saying. And we can, we're at the first time in history, there's enough of us wise enough, smart enough, diligent enough, willing to roll up our sleeves and go to work. And it would be fun to get it done. Yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get your picture of these things, of what it would be, like what was it before it was polluted? What did you see and experience with your own eyes and, and touch with your own hands and smell with your own nose? I didn't know that I wasn't living in a perfect environment because I grew up in Little Waukegan, Illinois. It was cloudy most of the time, but, you know, I shovel snow in the winter and cut lawns in the summer. And I, I love the smell of fresh cut grass. And right now, because of all the stupidness going on in the planet, I'm, last night I learned that if you plant one, I, we happen to love sweet potatoes, but if you plant one sweet potato in one crop, you get one sweet potato goes to a hundred in one crop. And I went, you know, it fits Jesus's line. You know, I'm going to give you 30, 1500 fold return. And I never, I didn't know a crop that did exactly a hundred until sweet potato. And now I go, that is like so weak. We're, we're planted some. But when you talk about the fresh cut grass and planting plants, do you plant, do you garden? Do you, is that something that you've done? I'm green two ways. I'm good at making a lot of money and I'm great at plant. I can grow anything. And in my other house in California, we had 88 chickens on one acre. So I'm, I really believe you ought to have fresh green food. And we even grew the right plants to uh, have butterflies and sweet anise and, and put nets over it. So I really, I'm here to make the environment work. And I compost everything. And I just think everybody should be doing those kind of things, including where you live in the city. Everybody should make compost and have a little loomy and throw all their organics in there and grind it up and then. Put the soil wherever you got to do it, plants in your veranda or balcony or, or go to Central Park 
and give some plant stuff to somebody else. Oh, I compost. Yeah, compost is oddly fun. I mean, it's not just like something you do. It's it's fun. In New York, I live by Union Square, so I can go there and drop it off. There's a, a group that picks it up and takes it somewhere. And good. I've had many conversations over compost and they're always delightful conversations because it's people who have put their scraps in a bag, some put in a freezer and we all carry it together. And we get to see what we've been eating for the past week or so. Uh, I, I sensed joy and fun when you garden. Yeah. What are some of the emotions that you feel when you're, I mean, I'm guessing joy and fun, but when you're, when you're doing that, when you're interacting with nature, Nature is an ocean of ocean, and, and uh, it just it blows my mind how you can put any different plant in black soil, and it comes up different colors, whether it's the plant itself. I mean, the fact is sweet potatoes have three basic colors, whether it's the flowers that uh, come up like we, you know, when I was broke and, had, and bankrupt and upside down in New York, I wrote down that someday I'm going to have flowers in every table in my house, and I'm going to grow them around my house, and, and now we're in the cactus country, so we got blooming uh, succulents and, and cactus, cacti here that are outstanding. I mean, most people come to our house and go, I didn't know the desert could be this beautiful. Well, that's because it takes, here's the deal. When I was with Bucky Fuller, Fuller said, you got a brain, which is what you store stuff with. You go to school and you fill your brain, but then you got a mind which can really think. And that's what, that's what we're about. We're here to use our mind. You need an inventory of information to jump off of but I really believe I'm using mind power rather than behind power to build a life that is idyllic. But I don't want an idyllic life just for me. I want everyone to have an idyllic life. So when I go to the guy who, you know, Foster Gamble's house, who happens to be a physicist from Princeton, but, and you know, Proctor Gamble, but when you go to his house and he is figuring out how to take us into space at levels no one's ever done before and teaches me stuff, and it's so exciting that the first thing he does, he says, give me your phone. We're putting it in a Faraday cage because we're going to talk about stuff that no one else can know about. And you just go, this guy's got a kick-ass environment. He grows all of those stuff, swims, and then, then he saved my life that day. We we're big, big hikers, Chris and he and his wife, uh, Dr. Kim, uh, went hiking. And, and I hit a slide, and, and he grabbed me, rolled with me a half mile, and we never hit a tree and killed ourselves. It was it was like just beyond, beyond, and we're just enjoying the environment, but I wasn't paying attention. I didn't have the right hiking boots because I came from, I own hiking boots, but I didn't have them with that day. I mean, I'd climb Kilimanjaro and Fuji and everywhere, you know, but I didn't have the right uh, shoes. So, but he just, and I said, why, Foster, why did you do that? You put yourself at risk. He said, well, you're important. I said, no, man, of the two of us, you're more important than I am. He said, no, no, we're both important and we're just going to save each other. And I thought, wow, that's way cool. My wife picked us up and took the mud off us. His wife took the mud off and said, you guys trying to kill each other? And I said, it was my fault, not Foster's fault. <laughs> I'm hearing, I heard enjoy. I mean, it sounds like generosity and connection. I'm guessing at what the, like to put a name to the emotions. Yeah, I think everyone's got, um, I, I wrote a book called The, you know, the miracle of tithing, which businessmen who don't know what it is say, what's the miracle of tithing? And I said, you haven't been tithed enough lately. But I say, you know, you got to tithe your time, 10% of it. You got to tithe 10% of your talent if you really want it to grow because you've got to give to get and you got to tithe uh, your time, your talent, your treasures, and then your uh, time, talent, treasures. And there's a fourth T, which is. I happen to know there's a fifth T because I read it. 
in Mitzi's book. What is it? The fifth one I know is thanks. Yep, be thankful. That's correct. Time, talent, treasures. There's a uh, there's another one. I'm missing one of my teeth. I'm gonna have to thinking. Thinking. That's it. I was hoping that you'd remember. See how well you did a good job reading that. But well, I didn't remember. I just have it up on my screen. Yeah. See, thinking is the big one though, and that's why I like to stutter over it because most people go, "He doesn't know his own stuff." Hell, yes, I know my own stuff. But the point is, two things. Number one, it shows that you really did your homework, and thank you for that. Number two. It says that that's what we are here. Cut all the crap. You're while well, you got to take care of your physical body. And I was up at five thirty exercising for an hour this morning. You still got it. The most important thing is you're here to think. We're not here to watch TV all the time. We're not here to be nothing, do nothing, have nothing. We're here to be someone, do something, have something, see something, and really help make the world work for one hundred percent of humanity. And no other group has ever had. Such an extraordinary opportunity. I mean, you and I can literally communicate with 8 billion people because of one guy. Steve Jobs created a cell phone, and apps can take you anywhere. WhatsApp, whatever app you got to use to get to everybody, you can get to them. And everybody in the poorest countries I go into all have a cell phone. It costs 15 bucks. And and so they, you know, with a cell phone, you can do any amount of business you probably want to, whether it's product, service, ideas information, intellectual property, whatever it is. I've never thought that through, but I think it's true. Does that make sense, Josh? Yeah, I think you're, I mean, opportunity and through action, vision. Our yeah, th those words come through a lot in your... There's eight billion people opportunity is infinite for the first time in history. I mean, 200 years ago, you couldn't travel over 29 miles from wherever you lived. Well, I think of it differently because I know people would run 100 miles in a day. The amount of people that ran 100 miles a day, like I opened up the pyramids in Guatemala, they ran 70 miles with fish to bring it to the king from uh, Yucatan. But that guy running 70 miles there, or the, I've run with the greatest runner. We do the Boulder Boulder every year with the Ethiopians who got the longest, most beautiful legs and flow. They start the race same time I do, and they finish in, and they're laughing when I come back 17 hours later. No. It just is so great. But the point is, the amount of people that can do that speed with elegance is dang few. Well, today, I think, my understanding is that, well, I don't want to get into, I mean. Right, that's irrelevant to today. Yeah. So, well, the next thing I would ask is, uh, actually, it's, you hit on it, is I would invite you, you're doing a lot already on the environment. You know a lot of people who are doing a lot of things. And it's tempting, now, most people think of what's the biggest thing I can do? What can I do to scale really big? That's a separate thing from what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to think of something you can do to act on the emotions that, you, that the environment conjures up in you, joy and connection and things like that, if I understood you right. And to do something that you're not already doing, to act on those things. See, it's a slightly different, well, until you, when it hits you, it can hit you like a ton of bricks, that it's. Most people feel like I have to save Bangladesh. I have to figure out how to get all the plastic out of the ocean. I'm not, I don't want to stop anyone from trying to figure those problems out. But what I invite people to do is to act on their personal connection to nature, the environment, to do something they haven't done before. There's three constraints if you're up for it and you don't have to do it. No, I'm up. But to think of something you're not already doing that you do yourself with your own hands and that has some physical component that after you do it, you'll say, that left the world a better place. But it's just non-zero. You don't have to measure it, but it has to be a physical 
you, you can't just be reading a book or watching a documentary. Yeah. So last night we learned about planting sweet potatoes and one becomes 100. So my wife says immediately to me, because some of our grandkids live here in Arizona with us, and said, these three are going to participate in that and we're going to help them plan. And it's going to be each one of them will have a name on their plan and we'll do it. And that's going to multiply because I guarantee you they're going to take it back to a science project. I guarantee they're going to tell 10 ways to eat the sweet potato. Why sweet potato could keep you alive if there is a disaster, whether it's a war or whether it's a hurricane or whatever. And sweet potatoes are ready in one month, which I, I thought, holy cow, I didn't know that. I mean, there's a lot more I don't know in the world than I do know. And we saw that and immediately you asked for implementation. At least that's how I heard your question. And my wife said, no, we're going to do it with the grandkids. We're not, obviously we could do it alone because we're capable and competent, but why not have them watch what we watch them do it with us? It's like, you know, like everything I know, I want to teach my grandkids. And I want to teach everybody that's interested. And obviously I got a gazillion shows on YouTube and more coming. Like we'll have. My goal is I've written down 6,000 that I like to do over time. Well, that, I mean, teaching someone else is, I love that as something to do, but this is actually one of the constraints was that you do yourself. That, because we don't learn from other people's experience and it would be the, it's, if you come up with something, then I would invite you to, to do it and then to come back and share how it went. And I've, yeah. my, this podcast is filled with people who've come back for the second time, sharing yeah. what happened when they did something for the first time based on their intrinsic motivation, based on what it meant to them. And it's not to take away from learning about and contributing to the great things, but this very personal thing is the second conversation is, is often very touching. People find out in the doing something that they missed when they heard about you know, it, often a lot of people talk about the environment in an abstract way. And this makes it less abstract. Good. I will think about it and I'll give myself a challenge and I'll get back to you. I promise. Would you be game to take a minute to go back and forth just to see if something pops out here? Go ahead. So does anything come to mind of something you could do? Sometimes people right away think about something. Well, I, at least the people I hang out with all have grandkids that they think more of them than they think of themselves. See, when you did the sweet potato thing before the grandkids, that gave you something to do with the grandkids. This is to get something like. I, I was going to do the sweet potato thing for myself. And then my wife said, no, no, we got to do it with the grandkids. I said, okay. Like we don't have any issues with, you know, doing stuff alone, but we're glad to in, take it even to the next level. Because did you know one sweet potato becomes a hundred so you can feed the whole neighborhood? I didn't know that. I mean, and it makes me want to do sweet potatoes on my windowsill here. And, and by the way, let's just assume that, you said you live in a 15-story building, and you got uh, whoever's running that building. And if it's my friend Joel Seidler, you know he would let you plant on the roof. I don't know how many people are in 15 stories, but if they're 10 per story, that's 150 people. It's about 100. What? It's about 100 people because the top floors are smaller. Yeah, but if it was flat, and there's a lot of flat buildings in New York, Manhattan, it would be easy to plant enough to feed everybody sweet potatoes if there's a crisis. And Victory Garden is like a super important thing. I mean, it was big during FDR during World War II because all the men went goodbye-bye and the, the women were at home and they, they turned all the Central Park into a Victory Garden and all of, I don't know if Union Square was, but they, you know, a lot of public lands immediately became Victory Gardens so everyone could keep eating. My parents had a Victory Garden, so 
I'm really keen. Yeah. Well, why don't we wrap up there? And I'll leave it open. If you come up with something, then please let me know. And I'd love to have you back a second time to share how it went. Love to do it. Then from my end, I reading your stuff, I was like, I don't want to sound like all his other fans. And I couldn't help but feel like you must get tons and tons of feedback of people who've read your work and said, this has changed my life. And I mean, for me, it was completely unexpected. I really judged a book by the name. It just didn't resonate with me. <laughs> and uh, I know that it gave you guys goosebumps because I read that it gave you guys goosebumps. But man, I'm 20 years late to the party and I apologize. And But uh, I thank you. And I hope I don't sound just like every... Do I sound like everybody else? Yeah, no, no. It, it, when Jack and I wrote the book, we said the soul of America was in trouble. What we didn't know, and I've sold 374 million books in China, and Jack, well, he's a Chinese scholar, undergraduate at Harvard, and I am not. I've been to China 80 times and Jack's never been there once. So it's a fascinating quixotic problem. But the, the fact of the matter is the soul of the planet is in trouble. It was, and it is again. And that's why our books are selling. And now they're even doing mini books at, at dollar stores and all that, and where we do three to seven stories. So it is more important than ever that we get people to start telling their story, feeling their story, sharing their story, and writing their story. And, you know, and then I take the stories in my little publishing house called Mark Victor Hansen, library.com markvictranslibrary.com and, and we're taking and putting them into whole books we started by going little stories three pages or less now we're going big stories that are full books that are going to impact the world that are going to change everything like what i told you about dean rose tracked cash or the lady who's got the problem solved with uh, too many problems of metal in your body and in that little kid devin who is a little kid that's made a fortune and he wants every other kid to do it and he's at 14, he just started. He says, Mark, I started Sky Clear. You had to interview Sky Clear seminars because of you. And I said, yeah. He says, I'm going to teach every kid how to get rich. Just like you. I read your book, One Minute Millionaire, and it made sense to me. So I did it. I said, but you read that at eight years old? I thought you'd have me 20 to do that. God bless you. I just, you know, if you've never seen it, if you need money, this is the book that changes the world that's two books in one only book ever to be number one fiction nonfiction. because i just say you got to be original it's got to be inevitable that soon everybody will read it inevitably it's got to be transformational because it, you can't look at caterpillar and product butterfly we've all been in covid confinement for the last two years and it's time to break through it's time to go into high flight now for those who are listening and not watching it's one minute millionaire was the book that he held up that might be a good place to close. Although, is there anything to close with? Anything that you want to leave the listeners with? We wrote this book called Ask, where we do three things. We say, ask yourself, ask others, and ask God. And what we're teaching is the size of your question terms the size of your results. So if you ask little questions, you get little results. Big questions, big results. You say, how am I going to go bankrupt like I did in 1974? Subconscious can't take a joke. I went bankrupt. <laughs> My best, worst experience. But then I started asking, how do I become a millionaire and a multimillionaire and richer than that? And how do I make all my companies work so all my giant staffs are happy? And we've done that. So it works either way. God in you doesn't care what you ask, but you've got to be careful what you ask because you're going to get it. So if you ask for bad stuff, you'll get it. Like, how do I get depressed? How do I go to bankrupt? How do I get fat? You can figure that out. No problem. But if you ask, how do I have a most wonderful life? How do I have the best relations? How do I have abundant time, money, relationship? How do I get to enjoy the whole world and its magnificence? It's there. Both are there all the time. Normally, I, I just close when the person says that, but I'm going to add a little bit 
if listeners to this podcast are like me, they might've heard that and thought, oh, this sounds kind of schmaltzy. In my case, I might've thought that, but having read the books just so recently, what you said was deeply more meaningful than it would have been had I not read them. And so if people just, if that went in one ear and out the other, read some of the stuff and then come back and listen to it again. Mark Victor Hansen, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.